um, on Facebook. I'm trying to do like a different thing to get people like thinking and to get them mentally prepared for a message coming up on Sunday. Because even though we go right through the Bible and, you know, so next week, you know, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 20, you know, we'll pick out some things from there. Um, maybe people are following along and like reading ahead of time, but, you know, maybe not. I would say probably not. And so come Thursday, Friday, Saturday, what I'm trying to do, or what I have been doing, is I'm creating these little video clips that I put on the church Facebook page, and we can, we can go past the slide for a second. Right, so I put it right on, the, right on there so people could easily find it, and I call it Message Minute. So it's a, like a one-minute breakdown of what we're going to do for Sunday, and that way like, it could help us think and prepare mentally like, for what might be coming down the pipe, what we're going to talk about. Um, and I think like there's value in that to get the juices going and sort of flowing in a particular direction. So the message minute for this Sunday was um, if you had a chance or if you had the opportunity to be across the table or across the couch or, or going on a walk with Jesus himself. All right? So if you could do that, but you could only ask him one question. That, that's, you know, that's the tough part. If you could only ask him one question, what would you ask him? That's tough. Like, I can think of ten right off the bat. You know, but one question that you think uh, would be most important, most helpful, most beneficial uh, to you, what would it be? What would that question be? And then the idea, so people would see that video clip on Facebook, it'd be that minute thing, boom. And then they'd be thinking of it and they're like, yeah, like, what would I ask? You know, I don't know. So then they'd leave a comment on there, whatever the question, you know, would be. And so then people could see what are people thinking about, you know, what's going on. Um, and so the idea, hopefully, is like it's interactive, but yet it gets the mind going too. So let me tell you what some people put down. Um, why is there... Not a detailed record of how Jesus handled sexual temptation. It's a good question. It's a good question. It's not really detailed out. I mean, how did he act during his teen years? Like, he's a guy, you know? And how did that... What did he do? Um, next question. What does he think that I am best at? It's a good question. Where do all of the lost socks go after you place the pairs in the washer? <laughs> and then this one was on there twice. When are you referring to Jesus? Because we're talking to Jesus, right? When are you returning? And then when is he returning, right? So that one's on there. So two people are pretty concerned. with like, when are you coming back? Like, when is this, you know, world as we know coming to an end here? Like, let's just... How much longer are we going to wait? How much longer are we going to wait? So, that would, those are some answers, right? And so the idea is so, to get people to watch those videos and then, you know, comment on there. And let's get people, like, thinking, you know, talking and seeing where we end up on Sunday. So, what we're going to look at in, our, in this passage is we're going to look at somebody who has a big-time question for Jesus. Um, super important. So, let's take a look at it. Matthew 19. Verse 16. It says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We will pause there. 
So number one, right, the, the title of the message is you've got questions, he's got answers, right? You've got questions, Jesus has answers. Doesn't mean we'll like all of the answers, but he certainly got some, okay? So we've got questions, he's got answers. Now, this same passage, just so you know, you could read this later if you'd like, later throughout the week, whenever. It's also in Luke 18, verses 18 through 27, and it's also in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. So, you can see the whole picture. Now, there's a lot of value in reading these other Gospels, Mark's take and Luke's take. Because from Matthew's take, it says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked. Well, in the other Gospels, it says, A young man, specifically a young guy, in my age, you know, maybe older, younger, within a few years, runs up to Jesus and falls down on his knees. Falls right at his feet. So you got a young guy noticing Jesus running up to him, falling at his feet. I think right away, I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I know a lot of young guys that would probably just like head right by in the other direction. Not really cared too much about. Or there's the holy roller with all the rules. But this young guy, he's questioning. He's unsure. He's got some doubts. He doesn't have it all figured out. And so he realizes he has an opportunity. Also realizes, maybe I might not get another one. And so you have this enthusiastic approach. Beelining at Jesus. Running right at him. Jesus is probably like, what is this guy you know, running towards me for? Falls at his feet. He's got this question. This thing has been racking his brain. And so we might have, you know, those questions too. So he takes it to a good place. He takes it to Jesus. Excellent place to take the tough questions. Although by looking at the church as a whole, you might not know that. So it says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? There's his big question. That's it right there. So I don't know what yours may be, you know, the socks and the pears, which that's a pretty good question, actually. Like, I don't know what happens to the socks. Like, they're gone. But we have a bag full of them, and we can never find the match. Um, how did Jesus handle sexual temptation? What am I good at? When's he returning? All good questions. But I'd say the money question right away is, how do I get to heaven? That's a pretty good question right there. How does this whole thing work, Jesus? Like, how do I get there? It's a good question. I like a lot. I value heavily. And you probably do too. You probably value really good questions. If someone can ask like a good question, you probably value that a lot. Um, there's a lot of situations in life, you know, where it's just helpful to ask the right questions. You could easily be taken for a ride when, like, buying a new car, buying a house, making some kind of purchase, and the salesman is it's very nice, um, pretty smooth, good with the language. You could just be taking a ride, you know, for real quickly. Unless you come educated and prepared to the table, knowing which questions to ask. That's a skill to learn, knowing the right questions. Because sometimes, like, you, oh, wait, hold on. You, like, you can't sit down and then research it, you know, maybe online or, like, read a book and then go back to them. Like, in the moment, we've got to make that decision. And so we've got to, you know, educate ourselves in the meantime. So this young guy has been thinking about 
eternity and things that are value to him and to a lot of people but for whatever reason he's younger and he's thinking about this stuff so it's pretty cool but I want to focus on like this good question part because this is essential let me tell you why um, these, uh, this Barna study that was done a few years ago it's uh, talking about reasons why young people leave the church young people specifically around 15 and older and we're looking at a young guy here. And uh, the title of the article is uh, Six Reasons Young People Leave the Church. So there's a bunch of interesting information in there. One piece, it says, about one-fourth say faith is irrelevant and Bible teaching is unclear. One-fourth, about 25%. Another good chunk say that they feel like church and church people are really shallow. A big one right here. The church is not a safe place to express doubts. Say over one third. And one fourth have serious doubts they'd like to discuss. That's questions. They have doubts. They have questions. But in their minds, oh, I can't go to church and ask that. I couldn't ask the pastor that. Or I couldn't ask one of the deacons that. That's scary. So six in ten young people will leave the church permanently or for an extended period starting at age 15. Six out of ten. 60%. Some studies have it closer to 70. They're done. They're done with church after that. And that's assuming they were maybe even involved in the first place. So that's a smaller percentage. So they don't feel like it's a safe place to ask questions and bring things up. At this church, right? CC Nogi, right? Calvary Chapel Nogatuck. I want to make sure that we as a church, and I want to make, and the church is made up of you, so I'm talking about all of us, that we entertain the questions, that we engage the questions, the tough ones. We need to, we have to. Because if people can't come in with the questions and the doubts, where the heck are they going to go and talk about it? And who knows what kind of information they will get. So, like, we want to talk about sexual issues and problems. We want to. We want to talk about same-sex marriage. We want to talk about, you know, what's, like, appropriate and inappropriate to share, like, on social media and things like that. That's what they're doing. We want to talk about what type of music you know, would it be helpful and good to listen to? Or maybe why or why not? Like, these are the, you know, money and how to handle that. But hot-button issues of the day. They're passing uh, some big abortion laws in Texas right now, strict as a nation. Gun control laws. Like, we should be able to talk about this stuff in church. The dialogue should at least happen. Not saying that we will agree on all points, because if we agree on all points, then we're really good Christians. I'm not saying that. Because nowhere are you going to see Jesus just agreeing with the masses because he was super Christian. But, we have to have the dialogue, even if, even if, even if, even if, we don't even have all the answers. Because that's a good thing. I, you know, I'm not really sure. But, like, I should think about that more, you know. Tell me what you know about it. What do you know about it? 
I should obviously spend some more time with it. Like, we should continue this conversation. I, I don't know, you may you bring up good points. That's good. And, and that is a thing that I'm hoping that we do as a church. That's what we want to do. Engage the tough questions. Hopefully, this church and this people would not be guilty of running away from the tough questions. Well, they'll at least talk with me about it. Or, oh, I totally disagree with what they said. But at least we said something, right? And had some substance. And then the best way is we delivered it with love. Like not with a certain sort of sort, uh, kind of religious superiority, but like just with, you know, love behind it. Well, you know, here's what uh, Jesus says. Here's what the Bible says. Honestly, in my life, I've seen it like this. And that is tough. You know, I don't know. And I'm still trying to figure that out. And or I've had to talk with so-and-so. And so-and-so thinks, thinks this. Or I heard my pastor one time say this. It's good. It's good. It's good. Because our idea of shining light, shining bright, and being a light, and being salt, that, that's what it looks like, is going in and addressing questions and addressing doubts and addressing concerns. Because if the Christian is just closed off to all of that, how could we really be a solid, bright light and be super salty? Like, we can't really do that well. And so I'm looking forward to, like, engaging all of those questions and issues. And um, the nice thing about us studying going right through the Bible is eventually we'll hit them. Eventually we will get there and we will talk about them. Can't avoid them. Because it was prob- if it was up to me, I'd probably like to schedule a nice preaching calendar that maybe had like two controversial issues or three, maybe in a whole year, and I would do it on like July 7th, you know, or like during the summer, you know, and that maybe people could make it, and not during the school year when people are just thinking about coming back to church, right? So we want to engage that. I mean, part of my flesh certainly doesn't want to, because what if I look stupid? What if I don't have an answer? What if I might look silly? It's okay. Got to go out in faith. At least give a listening ear. At least know what they're saying. There was a, a quote I read this past week here. It says, uh, talking about young people, we think that they want cake, but they actually want steak and potatoes. And we keep giving them cake. And I think that's really true. Like a lot of young people, you know, they want the solid, authentic, genuine answer. Tell it to me straight. And we sort of want to like give it something and layer it out nicely with some frosting and sugar coat it. No. They're looking for some truth. Something authentic, genuine, and real. And the hope for Calvary Chapel Naugatuck is, you know what? They're this church that presents this truth. I know what it is. And either I'm into it or I'm not. See, I want to be able to present to people rationally, here's what the Bible says. Here's our take on it. At least give them the decision. At least give them the decision. That's what we want to do. Give them a clear-cut decision as far as what God says, what the Bible says. So part of that is engaging and talking about questions. So, big-time question. Here we go. How good? How good, how good, how good? That's the big-time question. It's a good one. So, in our bulletins there, we got three observations, right? Here's the first one. How good? How good? What is it? What counts? What doesn't? 
What are we talking about? So look at the phrasing. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? One thing he's got right in there is he said, Teacher, that was good. Jesus said, Teacher. A couple things he got wrong. What good thing? Like there's one thing, you know, we could do and that's it. So that's a problem. There's not just, you know, really one thing. Second problem is assuming that there's a good thing that's good enough to get it done. So a couple problems here is that somehow he has this conception of what he thinks about heaven and what he thinks about God. Where he's sort of in the ballpark but he's still pretty far off. So I asked that question. What percentage of Americans think that they're going to heaven? It's interesting. ABC News poll. Now this is done in, I think, 2006. This one was done. But you've got to figure at least, hey, it's probably pretty close to now. And um, it says this. It says... 89% in the poll, okay, they actually believed in heaven, right? So right away, you know, there's already a good chunk of people that don't even believe in any eternity really at all. So 89% think that there is. But it says that 75% think that they will go to heaven. 75% of Americans think that they're going to be in heaven. Man, I hope so. I really do. I really, I, honestly, and that, you know, I honestly, every fiber of my being, I hope, I hope, I would love to see three quarters of American being in heaven. I'd love it. Wouldn't you? I'd love it. I don't know, but then Jesus says that thing, you know, where narrow is that road, small is that gate, that people are going to make it there, you know, and, and Jesus even says, they're going to come in there and say, Lord, Lord, I even did miracles in your... I'm still waiting for the first miracle to happen here at this church, but I'm still praying for it. But Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name. He's going to say, I didn't even know you. you Use my name. There's power in that. I mean, we sing these songs. That song, killer, right? There is power in the name of Jesus. I mean, that is a solid song. Solid. So, there's power there. Things could be done, but he's like, no, nah, I, I didn't know you. Like, 75%? Narrow road? This guy? What good thing? Like, what's good enough? What can I do? See, the problem with him is that he understands that, like, you know, good, good, good is important, but then there's another part that's also really important, and the other part that's really important that we can't miss is the issue of S-I-N. The least sexy word around, sin. Right? Nobody likes that one. So we have Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Right? It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? So, so good, it depends on the benchmark. God's idea of good and my idea of good are pretty radically different. And I have a picture up there of bows and arrows and, hey, it looks like my brother Josh was shooting. But, um, I'm just kidding, Josh. But uh, the idea, right, is that when it talks about sin in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is, called, is, is missing the mark. 
like an archer would do. It's missing the mark. So in order to be good, the way God's calling it, um, every action, every thought, every intention would just be perfect, right on the money, bullseye. Probably messed that up since I've been here this morning. That's the truth, you know? And some I know and, and some I don't know and don't realize till later, till God makes it aware. I'm like, oh man, sorry Lord, got to get away from that. So good, it doesn't really match up really well with sin. Because I think most of my friends, right, that I know, um, that aren't really involved in church and, you know, guys that I grew up with and I see their Facebook feeds and I, you know, see them on Twitter and stuff they post and things we've talked about and they know, you know, what I do. And, you know, for most of them, they'd say that good intentions and appreciation and tolerance for all people, like, that's, that's it right there. Try and do that well. think it's a misconception as far as Jesus is concerned, right? Biblically, that's just not what it says. I mean, that's just it. So that's one observation, is the misconception of the question. How good do I have to be to get there? Here's a second observation. Let's keep reading. Verse 17 says, now not every verse is going to take that long, so that was just like the beginning part because it gets us into where we are. The rest doesn't take that long. Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. He's just like, hey, you know, um, good, yeah, I don't think you're really quite getting that part. There's only one who's really good like we're talking about. But uh, if you want eternal life, obey the commandments. And so I like the response. This young guy, right, this quick young guy. Okay, like which ones? So are there some, like, I have to do, some I don't have to do. You know, it's like when I give homework in class and, uh, you know, I tell them to do particular things and they're like, well, Mr. Murphy, which one do I really have to do? Well, you got to do all of them. Yeah, yeah, but which ones are graded, you know, heavier and, you know, which ones matter more? So they're constantly trying to narrow down you know, the least amount that they have to do. And that's what, you know, we all do, you know. And this uh, young guy here is doing the same thing. So which ones? So Jesus, here he says, here we go. Jesus says, okay, don't murder. Okay, don't commit adultery. And we're not even talking about like intentions of the heart right now, but he's just saying the actual actions. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Listen to your mom and dad. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty hefty list. That's pretty tough right there. And the young guy goes, uh, you know, all these I've done. I've done it. And the young man said, what do I still lack? Somehow he knew he was lacking something, right? From our passage, that's not clear. But if you're reading the other Gospels and Mark and Luke, Jesus says, he doesn't disagree with them that he's been doing these things. Jesus comes back at him and he says, yeah, but you're still missing something. And so that's why he's saying, what do I lack? Right? Matthew doesn't record that part, but the other two guys do, Mark and Luke do. So what am I missing? So verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, 
and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So the answer right here is perfect. See, like, so he asked, how good can I be? Jesus says, eh, good doesn't cut it, perfect does. He's just raised the bar big time, right? Good doesn't cut it, perfect does. That's what matters. So here's observation number two, right? Observation uh, number one. We had, there was that great question. Observation number two is uh, more than money. More than money. Because he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then follow me. And so, of course, now that gets us into like, the conversation as far as you know, riches and possessions and what we, we can do and what we can't do and how does that all work out. Before we look at it all the way, let's look at his response. Verse 22. It says, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So it's tough to say why he went away sad because as we'll read on later, even with the other Gospels, doesn't tell us what happens. Doesn't tell us that he sold it all and then followed Jesus. And maybe he was sad because he had to like get rid of all his good stuff, all his toys, his quads, his boats, you know, and just put it aside and go follow Jesus. Or maybe he was sad because he's like, you know what? No, I can't give that up. That's just too much. I've worked hard, worked real hard. And he wants everything? Nah, I don't think so. So we don't know why he went away sad. We're left with that one. But we still are left with an important principle. Important principle is, he wants more than our money. He wants our hearts. He wants more than our money. He wants our hearts. Because it is completely possible to give you know, money and possessions and not be right on the inside. Have the appearance that things are going well and things are going good, but on the inside, it's not looking so hot. It's totally possible for someone to want to give money because on the inside they know that there's a lot of funkiness going on there, but they want to appear better. And that's why Jesus came down so hard in the Pharisees. That's you know, how they would handle money. So then, does everybody, for us to be holy and to be good Christians, do we have to sell our possessions, give everything to the poor, you know, should I go home with Julie and have a meeting, be like, babe, we've got to sell the house, you know, and we should donate this thing to an orphanage, you know, and bring kids in, and I don't know, empty, uh, you know, or four or five bucks we got in the checking, and then, you know, there are three dollars we got in savings, and I give that away, and have faith. It's a legit question, though. It's legitimate. And then on the other side, you know, is it bad if someone were to have a bunch of stuff? Have some, like, sweet boats, nice house, fridge is full, pantry's full, retirement account looks good. Like, is that bad? I would say that all that stuff would be bad. And Jesus would say that those things would be bad, it would be a sin, if it was an area that you could not give up without being, unquote, sad. 
This guy's on board with Jesus. He says, yeah, just sell it. Come follow me. Let's do this. All right, fine. Done deal. It wasn't really mine anyways. You gave me the ability to get it. You'll get me tenfold if you want later on. Let's roll. Could have been the answer. Wasn't the answer. His money, possessions, and his riches would have been in a good place. That's what he's looking for from us. Have the money and possessions be in a good place. Not above him, but in the right place. Understanding that it came from him and he could bring whatever else at any time. He owns the checkbook. He's got my house. He's got my car. If he speaks like to Julie and I, you know, tomorrow, give something away. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, that's, that's you know, that's going to suck. And we're not going to want to do it. But then the rubber will hit the road for us. Like, are we living out, you know, what we're preaching and going to church for and reading about? Are we going to be obedient? Or are we not? So that's the place it takes. So riches, possessions. There's plenty of people in the Bible that had money. In fact, there were some Christians with some pretty deep pockets in the early church. When they used to meet, they would meet in these house churches. And some of the words used um, for house church in the Greek with the text and Acts, they, they weren't like, you know, in, uh, in, in like Jared's house. They were in like mansions, like big, nice houses, kind of affluent society. And they would meet in these beautiful places. You know, were they sinning by having them? You don't know. God provided it and He provided that place and they met it. That's it. See, the problem becomes when that stuff becomes before God. The problem comes when I don't involve God in any of my spending at all. I remember it was very helpful for my parents to instill in me when I was younger, um, you know, as far as like purchasing things. So when you're younger, you know, it's like purchasing a pair of rollerblades. It's like getting a new basketball. It's, uh, you know, getting a new article of clothing, whatever. But what happened to me was that at a young age, and I understand it's not everybody's story, but it's important to get the idea, the principle, at a young age I was taught, man, this is God's money, why don't you pray about that you know, purchase before making it? And I'm like, you know, 12 years old, pray about it. Are you kidding me? I don't know. I'll pray, anyways. You know, I, but, I don't even know if I listened for an answer, I still did what I wanted to do. But, now, that's implanted in my head, and now I start to get it, you know, because that's the way it works. And you get older, all of a sudden they become pretty smart when they're talking. And so now, you know, I get it, and that's up there, I'm like, all right. And so now, you know, it was great before Julie and I were married, and her car crapped out. It's in a really bad snowstorm. She was coming home. Uh, she went to Southern, and uh, she's coming home, and, uh, you know, I got a phone call, and uh, she's crying, you know, she's a mess, and she got, like, halfway home and she's on the hill and car just crapped out on her. I don't remember what it was. And so I try and coach her through that. But then we, um, we knew we'd be getting married within uh, it's like six or seven months. So our first purchase you know, was a car. And actually I still have it outside. That's, that's the car that, you know, that we bought. That nice white beater out there. The thing's awesome. It's got 220,000 miles on it. You know, but I could tell Jaren if I still have it you know, by the time he's understanding what we're driving in. If it lasts that long. You know, mom and dad, like we prayed about the purchase. You know, we talked about it. We were on consumerreport.org. We were educating ourselves, knowing the questions to ask. And God was fully in the process. 
That's, you know, riches, possessions, like that's where it's got to be. It's got to be at the forefront. Because I could even do all the research and educate ourselves. And for whatever reason, maybe it's just not the car that God really has for us. And we would never find that out if God was never part of the process. So that's when things, you know, become dangerous. That's what I'm saying. He wants more than our money. He wants, you know, more than the box, more than whatever. He wants everything all in. In your bulletin, right? Isaiah 29, 13. Like, that's the message, right? In your bulletin. Has it right on there. Front page. At the bottom of the front page. In your bulletin. Right? Right there. That's our, that's our theme. That's why I feel like God just made clear. He's like, you know, I need a group of people. I need a church where it's like, these people are surrendered to me, not because of how they look. And it's not about getting together necessarily on Sundays. But I have their hearts seven days a week. Not just one day for an hour, you know, an hour and a half. I got their hearts seven days. That's what I'm looking for. That's what the Christian is. I got their hearts seven days. So at the bottom there, right, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship of me is based on uh, merely human rules they have been taught. And then another verse I got up here, Mark 12.30, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, supposed to say, strength, okay? With everything that we have. So, okay, but then the question is, why? Why would God want that? Why would He want access to all parts? Why would He want us to do that? It's a good question. It's a real good question. I think a big, big part of it. Why does he want all of Jared, every part, mind, heart, and soul, all my strength? And that doesn't mean like be a monk all day, you know, and just... Maybe some people are called to that, but I don't think a lot of people are. But he wants to be involved in every single process and be at the center of it because he wants me to realize and understand that what he has planned and what he has for me is so sufficient and so meets every need and it's so much better than the way that I would think to go number one it's going to save me I'm going to be in heaven follow what he says number two I'm going to figure out who he is really figure out we sing that song break every chain some people still got a lot of chains holding on but when that happens, you never forget that. Ever. That is huge. That changes somebody's life. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Big time. That's not happening. Unless we just come all in and surrender. And that breaking the chain might take like a process. But over time, it's guaranteed to happen. Guaranteed to happen. But we'll never know. We keep doing it on our own strength. So observation number one, great question. Observation number two, more than our money, he wants our heart. Observation number three, he reshapes and he remembers. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Verse 23. It says, when Jesus said to his disciples, right? So the young guy just went away sad. Sad, who knows? Maybe I gave it away, maybe he didn't. 
It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard, difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he repeats, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So the disciples heard this and they said, well, then who could actually make it there? So Jesus looks at him and he says, with man, it's definitely impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's a refrigerator verse, by the way. If I'm pulling on the fridge, I'll number one. Let's go on. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So verse 27, then Peter says, he's like connecting the dots here. We've left everything to follow. We left our business. We left our family. We left everything to follow. Like, how are we going to make out in this deal here? And Jesus doesn't give him a bad, hard time about asking that question. He understands the heart. Verse 28, Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, and you're going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And then verse 29, this is for all of us. This is for us. Verse 29. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, or jobs, or lifestyles, for my sake, will leave a hundred times, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So the last one is he reshapes and he remembers. We got that camel, the eye of the needle there. I mean, look at that. Like, come on, you know. He says it's easier for that camel to get through that eye of that needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So catch this. America. America, right? The way we live. The way we live. And I say that because I just, whatever. So we're in America, right? I've got kids in the class to say these things and they plan things in my head, you know? I, I don't know. So we're in America. The way we live is better than two-thirds of the rest of the world be considered rich. We've got change in our pocket. We have an account, some place to live, some kind of food in our house. We're considered rich. It's rich. So it's easier for that camera to get through the eye of a needle than the rich Americans to make it into heaven. Tell you what a big-time mission field is. Why? Wealth and comfort. Man, you get, you get some money and you get comfortable and you're not stretched too, too much. Things aren't really falling apart too much. What really is there a need for a saving God? Not much of one. And you could distract yourself with all the fun stuff in the meantime. It's a big time mission field. That's why us in America, man, it is... And we do like a weird thing. So then we sort of try and make, we try and make that camel, you know, we shrink that or make that needle head really big, you know, and try and make that happen and justify it with Christianese language. <clears throat> it's very dangerous. It's better when Jesus like reshapes that camel or reshapes that needle and he makes that thing go through. 
Not when we're doing it. Because abundance of money, that could blur the riches of heaven. Right? When we just are sitting nice and sitting tight, it could definitely blur what's going on in heaven. And so then when Peter connects the dots, he's like, Lord, what are you going to do for us? We gave everything away for you. And I like the fact that Jesus didn't give him a hard time. He's like, you're like a selfish idiot. Why are you asking that? You know? He doesn't come hard on him like that. He's like, yeah, I know. He did. That was a big time sacrifice. Sometimes we make big time sacrifices. Like, Lord, did you even notice? And I'm not going to go tell people because that's not right. So, are you noticing? He's saying he does. The words will come. And the awesome thing about the other versions from Mark and Luke... He says, you will receive many times more in this present time, in this life now, and in eternal life. So we're going to receive abundance of good and blessings now, in this time, and in eternal life. Does that mean dollar signs? I don't know. It might. Might not. Does it mean in health? Maybe. Maybe not. Mean in favor with other people? Maybe. Maybe not. Blessings and abundance can come in all forms, shapes, and sizes. But the most amazing one would just be that peace and trust coming from he's got this. It's really hard to get to that point in life to just trust him and be like my hands are off. He's got this. That is tough stuff. So let's close. Three observations. It's a good question. He wants more than money. He reshapes and remembers. So good doesn't get us to heaven but perfect does. And the way we attain perfection, so we can get perfection by surrendering to Jesus because he already had perfection. That's the way that works. I'm perfect. I go tell Julia that. No, you're not. (laughs) Right? But spiritually, right before God, perfect. He looks at me. He just sees like this red blood covering from his son over me. Perfect. Done deal. That's it. It's awesome. That is good news. Second observation that we want to take away from this, is there any part or place that God does not have full access to? Any part or place that would make us sad if Jesus were to say, it's all looking pretty good, but I want to get in there. That's the one we've got to ask ourselves. That's the real deal question. Is there any part that we'd fight him back on and be sad about. So let's. Um, I want to play that 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 uh, last song one more time. There's power in the name. That one was awesome. So we'll do that. Not quite as loud. We'll like tone it down a little bit, and we'll just be like prayerful. I want to just like ask God, like, Lord, there's like stuff in there. You know, I need you to break. I need to come to you with. I want to surrender more.